Have you got it there? Can I stop waffling? Oh, great. Okay, Moses, the early years. We had a look at last time. We saw uh, that miraculous plan that was put into place to escape Pharaoh's desire to put all the young boys to death. And we saw the incredible faith of Jochebed and Amran and how they released uh, Moses into the care of the Nile River with the basket and how um, the Pharaoh's daughter had seen this little baby, taken pity of him. And we saw in actual fact how he had grown up as a prince of Egypt after Jochebed paid by Moses to bring up, to wean uh, this little boy. And just how much impact uh, Jochebed and Amrad would have had in the life of their child. Anyway, in the next bit of the scripture, which we're not going to read today, we see uh, Moses going out as this prince of Egypt, schooled and trained in the way of the Egyptians, having had the best education that the world had to offer at the time. He goes down to his own people, and he obviously had some recollection. I mean, he, he, he had been ingrained uh, in the ways of his fathers when he was a child. He sees a, an Egyptian beating a Hebrew he thinks no one's watching. He looks around and he ends up killing this Hebrew, uh, this Egyptian, and, and hiding in the sand. And the next day he goes out and he sees two Hebrews fighting. And uh, he says to them, uh, what's, you know, what's going on? Why you shouldn't be fighting with one another? And then one of the men says to him, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? And Moses obviously gets very afraid and thought that what he had done must have become known. Anyway, Pharaoh gets to hear about what Moses has done, and Pharaoh seeks to kill him. So when he hears that Pharaoh's after his blood, he sets foot, and he travels about 320 kilometers, and he lands at a place known as Midian. At that place of Midian, he, un he meets up with seven women who are busy trying to draw water for their uh, sheep. Uh, they were all daughters of a priest of Midian, the Bible tells us, and then tells us that some other shepherds came along and they were chasing these women away. Moses rises to their defense and takes charge of the situation and then he waters the, the, the women's uh, sheep and uh, when the girls return to their father, whose name happens to be Ruel, he asks them, why have you returned so early? And they answer, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. So then their father rule invites, uh, invites Moses via his daughters to come and stay with him. And we see him giving Zipporah, one of his daughters, to Moses as a wife. And then we pick up the story now in Exodus chapter 3. So if you've got your Bibles, it will be on the screen as well. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. You remember that story from your Sunday school days or last time you read it? Everybody on the same page? Wakey, wakey, wakey. Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see the strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, 
God called from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Let us pray. Lord, as we look at your word this morning, as we observe some things from this passage and maybe learn some life lessons, I pray that your spirit would speak where we need to be spoken to, that loudly and clearly we would hear what you would say to us from your word this morning. And I ask that in the name of him who has been crowned with many crowns, our Savior Jesus. Amen. So this morning I want to share a few observations with you and then I'm going to share a few lessons. So observation from this passage, number one, is that this is a fairly common encounter for Moses. Verse 1, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the, the mountain of God. It was just another day for Moses. He'd been doing this for 40 years. The first 40 years of his life he had spent in total luxury. He was a prince of the most powerful nation of the world. He commanded respect wherever he went. He was highly educated. He had the best education the world had to offer. I mean, for 40 years, that's how he lived. Now, for the next 40 years of his life, he spends humbled looking after a priest of a foreign god <laughs> in, a, in a desert place. So for 40 years he's been doing this. Same old, same old thing going on. He had probably even, he probably knew every tree. He had seen some even grow bigger so the shade would become bigger under which he could lie in the heat of the day. When he woke up that morning, there was no heavenly messenger to tell him something special was about to happen to him probably went through his normal morning routine as he had done for the previous 40 years. <laughs> and off he goes with his sheep into the, uh, into the day. The regular, the familiar, the known places. Are that, is that not where God normally speaks to us? Is that not your experience in life? It's not the angelic messenger. It's not the whiz-bang. It's not the wow uh, experience. It's in the normal. It's in the regular. It's in that thing that happens, the common, ordinary routines of life. See, even this bush was not unique. He had seen millions of these bushes. It's a common name for an acacia shrub uh, common to that area. And Moses had seen more than his fair share of these bushes. He had probably seen lots of them burning as well. In actual fact, he probably used a lot of them to make fires with, to, to light you know, fires as, as kindling. But there was something a little bit different this time. Not in the bush, 
The bush was normal. But something different was happening to the bush. It burned, but it didn't burn up. And not only that, but God appeared to him in the bush. And here's what I want you to see. God wants to speak to us. He wants to reveal His will for our lives. And He will often do that by using common, ordinary, everyday events in our lives. See, maybe we need to pay more attention to the ordinary to hear God and not be looking at the spectacular. Let me give you an easy example. Sometimes we want to hear the super saints. We want to follow those on television or on radio or whatever with the big names because God will speak to me through Benny Hinn or you know, one of these big names. But what about the person who's in the house with me? What about that home cell leader or that common pastor? What about the person at work with me? What about that person that I I don't even regard who works for me? Is it not possible that through the common, ordinary, everyday, God actually wants to speak to me? And sometimes, not even through saved people, God uses the donkey to speak to me. The common, everyday things around us. Observation number one. It was a commonplace encounter. Observation number two. There's a response here worth noting. You see, once God makes His move in your life, the next move is up to you. (laughs) I see something. I hear something. I, I notice something out of this ordinary. The next move is actually up to me. Verse 3, Moses thought, I will go over and see the strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Once again, Moses has seen his fair share of bushes burn, but it was different this time. He puts himself in a place where God is able to speak to him. He recognizes this ordinary, but there's something extraordinary about it. I think the key to this whole story is found in verse 4 where it says, When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him from within the bush, Moses Moses. See, sometimes something happens in the ordinary that requires us to go over and have a look, to listen more closely, to pay more attention. Sometimes in my quiet time, I'm reading a scripture that I've read a thousand times before. And vroom, it just just illuminates in my mind. And it takes me to spend a little more time, pay a little more attention to that which is, that ordinary which has become extraordinary. And when I go over and have a look, when God sees I go over and have a look, then I can hear Moses, Moses. There's a pattern here. There's a distinct pattern. Moses could have stood at a distance and thought, that's weird, and gone off and done his own thing. But he doesn't. He goes over and has a look. And when he does that, that's when God really speaks to him. 
What does the Bible say about drawing near to him? <laughs> does it not say? Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. It's out of that ordinary that that happens most of the time. We know the story. We know that God is in the bush, but Moses didn't know. It, he only discovers this when he turns to have a look. He turned aside from his normal routine and he gave his attention to an extraordinary event. Friends, what will it take for God to get our attention? You think about some of the stuff that's going on around us now. You think God doesn't know? This devastating worldwide effect of COVID-19. This ongoing thing that affects us and some it will affect for the rest of our lives. What is it going to take for God to get our attention? When Moses turned aside that day, even though he did not realize it, he was entering into God's destiny for him. And we can do that very thing every single time we pay careful attention of that extraordinary ordinary and go over and have a look. Observation number two. Observation number three from the story is that Moses became available. Last part of verse four again, Moses said, here I am. Quite literally that means it's me. <laughs> it's me. Uh, don't you know it's me? It's me who ran away from Egypt it's me who killed that Egyptian. It's me that married into a godless environment. It's me that spent the last 40 years of my life sitting in the desert doing nothing. It's me whose mother told me I was destined to uh, you know, save, save my people. It's me, my mother had told me that I'm no ordinary child. I'm a beautiful child. I'm, I'm unique. I'm special. It's me, God. Don't you know it's me? That's what he's saying here I am. It's me. He becomes completely vulnerable and completely available. In Egypt, Moses was the somebody. But after 40 years in the desert, he had been completely and totally and competently <laughs> humble. He doesn't say to the Lord, Lord, I'm so glad you called. I'm the man. I'm your man. I'm the man you're looking for. Here's a list of my credentials and my accomplishments. You need someone to lead the Hebrews out of Egypt? That's me, Lord. You found the right boy. No. Moses just answers God with a simple, here I am. It's me. You know, you know who you're talking to? <laughs> you know how bad I am? You see, that's all God wants from any of us. He just wants to know that we're available to do whatever He may ask, to go wherever He may lead, to say whatever He asks us to say. It's about our availability and not our ability. It's about our availability and not our ability. Observation from the passage number four. Separation is not an optional extra for us. In verse 5, the Bible says, Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Now, why remove his stand sandals? I believe the reason was that God wanted nothing between himself and Moses. He just wanted a barefooted Moses there. 
See, holy literally means to separate or to set apart. God wants nothing in our lives that will obstruct the relationship He wants to have with us. Remember, He's a jealous God. He wants us to listen to Him and to Him alone. I think there were some other things God wanted Moses to be separated from. And I think He also needs us separated from those things too. And one of those would have been His past, with all its failures, with all its disappointments, with all of its sin. Moses was a murderer. Wasn't a great character. He was a failure. He was a disaster by all accounts. God needed Moses to realize this was a day of new beginnings. He had failed God before, but God works miracles with failures. So how's your work, your week been? <laughs> You've been a failure? I oh, know I have. Maybe you blew it big time this week. Maybe you spend most of your week with your back turned to God. The story teaches us that, Moses, that God is in the business of forgiveness and restoration, taking our failure and using it anyway. God wants to do that for us today, and He can only do it when I'm able to truly say, It's me. It's me. Lord, you know me. When I'm in that place of humility, Moses must have had some idea of his destiny way back when, that he had learned from his parents. But his plan had failed. His heroic super Moses idea to kill that bad Egyptian, it had gone all wrong. But God comes to Moses and says, yes, I'm the God of second chances. Yes, Moses, you blew it before. Yes, you try to take the bull by the horns and do things your way and you failed, but my plans for your life have not failed. You're still the one I want to use. Isn't that terrific? And that's our portion today. That's what God wants for us today. He still wants to use us. In case you thought it was finished, he has four life lessons coming up. <laughs> Take a deep breath. <laughs> life lesson number one, any old bush will do. Look at somebody and say, any old bush will do. Now you can clap your husband for calling you old. Second Corinthians 4, 7 says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are nothing more than scraggly old common bushes, but God uses these clay pots and these scraggly old bushes to, to affect His purposes. You see, it's not the bush and it's not the pot. It's what's in the bush and it's what's in the pot that counts. Paul says we have these treasures in these jars of clay. It's Christ in you that enables you to rise from ruin and from failure. Zechariah 4.6 says it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Any old bush will do. So if you think you're special, you don't, you don't count. 
If you think you're fancy, if you think you're learned, if you think your theology is all in place, if you think you are the man, I'm telling you now that God cannot and He will not use you. Rather, it's any old bush will do. Second life lesson, don't run ahead. That's what Moses tried to do and when he killed that Egyptian. Moses, the greatest leader, I think, of all time, was a murderer. He had blood on his hands. He tried to go before he was sent. Proverbs 19.2 says, It's not good to have zeal without knowledge, nor to be hasty and miss the way. I often encounter this, especially with young believers. They, they're just like raging wild horses, so full of the joy and the enthusiasm and zeal of God, that they often do really stupid things and say stupid things, and just like, they like, like loose cannons. So the lesson for us is, don't run ahead, you know, until God has given you that commission. So what if you're 80 years old? If God hasn't given you the commission yet, or told you to go, even if it's in your heart since when you were a boy, young girl, it doesn't matter. You wait until God tells you, now's the time, go. Life lesson number three, don't give up after a failure. <laughs> don't give up after you fail. I would have left the ministry if I've been in it since 1993. I would have left in the first week of my ministry in 1993. And then the second week, and then the third week, and then the fourth week, and then the fifth week. And then I would have left this week as well. Don't give up after failure. It's just not worth it. You're going to have them. You have to face that reality. But you need to know that a failure does not disqualify you from God's purposes. Not in Moses' case. Not in Noah's case. Not in Jacob's case. Not in David's case. Not in Peter's case. Nor any other great biblical figures that God mightly used. Every single person in the scripture that God ever used is either a liar or a deceiver or a murderer or a coward or something negative in their life. And yet God has used them. There's no failure that you've ever had in your life that compares anything to most of the biblical characters. And yet God used them. Why? Because they simply said, it's me. Lesson number Oh, and sorry, in actual fact, it seems that in God's book, your failures just make you more qualified. Don't know how that works, but that's what I see. Seems like the more a person fails, the more qualified they are. Perhaps because they become more humble. Perhaps it's because they are more empty of themselves, recognizing I'm not sure. And the last life lesson this morning, don't resist God's call. We're going to spend some time next week looking at just how Moses tried to resist. It's not worth it. When the call comes, just do it. At 40, 40 years, he ends up fleeing his life of luxury. He spends another 40 years, 80 years of age. I mean, Moses like, actually can't afford to delay much longer. Two-thirds of his life was already done. We know in, from the scriptures that he died at 120. So he had another third left. Genesis 6.3, I just remind you, the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he's mortal, his days will be 120. By resisting God's call, you may just find yourself spending a long time 
in one of those desert university classes. <laughs> and even God's people basically went round and round the mountain for 40 years, you know, until everybody that needed to had died out. And then only were they allowed to cross into the promised land. And Moses wasn't allowed to go because he failed God again at some point in the desert. And that's all I have to share with you this morning.